We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster and I'm I'm very pleased to be here. I'm joined by Matt Welch, Michael Moynihan, my two compatriots. Gentlemen, how are you? Yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So so we can see each other here and and, uh, the, the kids out there can't. Um, and I think I've got the Moynihan haircut now, and Moynihan is just turned into like a lecherous Phil Roth novel character. Well, uh, can I can I tell you that I was supposed to come to your um, crappy uh, Goomba Italian neighborhood today and get a haircut, but my uh, barber, uh, it, but this is very confusing, my barber canceled, so I got a, a text from them, and it said, uh, they have canceled your haircut. And I was like, was I getting a group haircut? One um, was like <laughs> Edward Scissorhands was like, what's going on? And I was like, oh my God, my barber's a they. So I got canceled for that today. And I'm not going to get canceled for saying my barber's a they. Oh, double you're finished. Can- yeah. Double cancellation today. Yeah, you're Jesus. done now. But yeah, no, Matt, my haircut looks lecherous. You look like Balder von Chirac, the head of the yep. Hitler Youth. So yep. <laughs> that's a little. I, I had asked them to like, you know, maybe go light on the, on the fascist look yeah. uh, here, but it's, it's hard. Uh, and yeah. Did you my, actually show them a picture of Moynihan and say, just give me his hair? <laughs> Is that what happened? No. No. Um, <laughs> no you, did you take pictures like stills from Schindler's list and say the guards is what I want to look like? <laughs> I used to, I used to like take pictures <laughs> like of Lord. the one, one still shot of me on Bill Maher back when, you know, he was brave enough to go on television well, uh, and, uh, Ooh, oh, uh just kidding. Come on, he's coming back. <laughs> just kidding. He's coming back soon. Um, I know uh, you got canceled for that, but sh- you know, just, I got canceled from the Drew Barrymore show. I was supposed to go. On. <laughs> 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 it was already, but we can all go in the view. That's the yeah, most okay, important yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, no, I I'm used ready. to like, I'm I used ready. to like a wave around a picture of, of like, you know, the one picture with me with cheekbones, like from 10 years ago, like do yeah, that. Yeah. Make that yeah. work. But what's worse is that today. So I was I walking into- you your plastic surgeon or the guy who cuts your hair? Exactly. Uh, I was going <laughs> Same into person. the <laughs> barbershop yeah, and this, this guy gives me a, gives me a, 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 a weird side eye. Uh, it's kind of awkward and like in front of the door, like, are you going in? Cause I, I need, I'm going through this door so you can like stop and look at me weird or yeah. you could go anyway. Uh, so we get in and I'm, I go up to the front counter to announce myself and um guy uh, says to me uh, uh excuse me um uh, uh do you have your passport i'm like what this stranger are you saying border to me? control uh is border i like i had flashbacks to being on the austrian slovakian border and a lot of bad things happened you could have just been in staten island <laughs> <laughs> that's true uh and then his follow-up comment was did you get your shots? That's that's that my man. That yeah. is my man. <laughs> so that's man. Alex. <laughs> that is Alex. That's how he decided to to wow. deal with. Yeah. Well, thank you, Alex. Pretty for, good for pretty listening good <laughs> out there in the world. Because uh, that means he's a subscriber, right? Because that was a, a subscriber episode, right? I do believe so. I, I don't do think that so. we 
generally allow it to go that off the rails on yeah. our regular episodes, but it's kind of hard to tell anymore. You in mean the, days the episodes of Lord in which we Bobert. <laughs> Yeah, the Lauren Bobert ones. Well, you know, when Congress ladies are not, uh, you know, whacking guys <laughs> off in theaters, we used to talk about guys that pee on girls. And we had, our, <laughs> it was about R. Kelly, because R. Kelly did a concert, what was it, in Ethiopia? For those who are maybe new listeners, or people yes. maybe that are stopped listening right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, R. Kelly was like in Ethiopia, and he was trying to get all the girls that were in the audience to come back to America with him. And just look it up, it's really yes. amazing. Yeah. Uh, by it's, which he means girls, beautiful. by the way. Uh, like, uh, girls. Well, he didn't specify He didn't age. specify. I but think yeah. a pattern. I, I think he'd just choose at the airport. Right? Who's <laughs> <laughs> getting on my plane? Oh, man. Oh, That's wholesome. Yeah. Very wholesome. But yeah, it's, it's nice that we've moved on and that American society has continued to make progress and that people aren't, aren't judging a congresswoman for giving in a theater. Yeah, They of appreciate course. that she's expressing herself and showing love to yeah. her, fellow, her fellow man. Yeah. Uh, in, in public. Free, his, fine. his freedom cock. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love wins. Love it didn't, Love though. He, they, they, they broke it off. It was very, it was a very short relationship. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I mean he probably well, saw the newspapers the last day and he's like, you're Lauren Bobert? What the fuck? I thought, <laughs> what was the name you were using on, on what? <laughs> Colorado Grinder, whatever it is. <laughs> but they went home together that night. Oh my I mean, God. They, they, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. That's fine. He got what he wanted. Yeah. I don't have um, the I don't have the <laughs> Senator John Fetterman tweet in front of me. Uh, but he was taking some flack uh over the past week about the Senate changing its uh actual yeah. rules to accommodate the fact that he dresses like a fucking slob. Yeah. Uh and uh <laughs> and he's saying, what well, hey. maybe I, maybe, what, what was his phrase? Something like, like, maybe if I'm body. pulling a hog in a theater in yeah, Colorado, yeah, no, right. <laughs> I'll be It showed just like his outfits, he's a really classy guy. <laughs> what What are the odds he actually tweeted that, though? I don't think he tweeted that. I, well, who's I mean, it going to be? His wife? I, yeah. Someone so, someone on his She's like the Ava like Perone. Being John of, Fetterman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's but what's don't you think on. they'd have to approve it with him? That. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't I don't, really I mean, I'm not trying to get standards. him off the hook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to get him off the hook. I just, I don't I don't think he's actually tweeting. He does <laughs> have the standard of, of, of as we've mentioned before, uh, challenging Nick Gillespie to a fight on live television. That yeah. shows at yeah. least a little bit of just basic kind of ethics. I got wrong. Nick, yeah. by the way. I got Still Nick on that too, yeah. yeah crazy, crazy beats, a big fat sloppy. Yeah, absolutely. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'd probably just fall asleep in the middle of the fight. <laughs> But by the way, is Girl it mustache wrong? I mean, like, I, I look like shit right now, but mm -hmm. I mean, I still look amazing, to be honest, but um, <laughs> I look kind of shitty. Even for me, I don't look great. But um, I am I wrong in like, it's all these people that the high dudgeon seems to be coming from the people who are like, oh, yeah, you, uh, this is this really weird formulation. They're like, you care about how John Fetterman dresses, but do you care about like women's ovaries? Like, it's all these weird, like, comparisons. I'm like, well, you know, you can compare, you can care about two things, right? I can care that like the guy looks like Adam Sandler. He's like got fucking basketball shorts on in a Carhartt sweatshirt. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe put on a suit or just like a, maybe just a button down. You don't have to wear a tie. I don't care about ties. But um, when you say that, you're apparently this monstrous person and you're like, yeah, well, you don't care about 
all the people who are dying, I don't know, in Yemen. <laughs> it's all these very strange comparisons. And I'm like, maybe I don't, but put a fucking suit on, dude. Am I wrong about this? I know I know what Camille's position is because he likes he likes a man to to be a snappy dresser. Matt? But do you but Camille, do you like rules? Or do you just like Well this is this is the thing. No, I, I think I think that dressing sartorial excellence is great. Uh, I am all for defying convention um in in stylish ways. Um I just don't think I what I don't appreciate is the fact that someone as slobbingly as John Fetterman is celebrated as some sort of fashion icon, as yeah. the New York Times did when they added him to like their list of best dress. It's just preposterous. Wait, this is not did? true. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this before. There was a list of best dressed shortly after he was elected, and he was on it. Like he's just like edgy, snappy. No, he's not. He's, he's pulling some shit out of the closet. He'll routinely go out and there'll be stains on it. When you see Kanye in some strange stuff, wearing like a cod piece and uh, shoulder pads, yeah. walking around <laughs> in socks, like it's, it's, like it's a clean. Bit of, a bit of like San you know? Diego Chargers, a little cameo. It's like a bit yeah. fit together. I mean, these are these are Parisian. These are these are Parisian threads. Like yeah. John Fetterman is just kind of picking up anything he can at Goodwill yeah. and putting it on, and then showing up in Paris, Congress. Texas. Like, that's not fine. <laughs> this is not fine. This is no. not okay. He looks like shit. But you actually have to do. You have to do something, and you can have a. You can have a look that can be your thing i just that being it's not impressive it's not impressive i guess the other option is and we don't have to stay long on john because i mean there's like not a debate can we talk like, about kanye's copies a little bit more uh, of course but um <laughs> <laughs> but uh Fetterman, we don't have to stay too long because i think just like objectively either either you say he looks like shit or you're lying so there's only like one answer <laughs> there. so it's like you say the president looks old and out of touch yeah, no, no, he's or, you don't he's we a, don't say that we don't say that because that's unacceptable well yeah, he's fine the Fetterman thing because the other option is that lurch gets into his suit and he ends up looking like david byrne and stock making sense it's just like doesn't fit and he just looks weird so i maybe the maybe the basketball shorts is the best option for him i don't know yeah i want the borat uh unikini the mankini just let's just just mm. do it if we're gonna go for it um I think there's uh, at some point I'm going to finally yield to the pure nihilism of the moment. Yeah, and it's not a mm. it's not a bad season to do that. I think uh, Congress, the Republican uh, side of Congress right now, is just in the middle of absolutely like pooping on its own feet. Oh, it's um, amazing! All you have to do is just like stand back. If you're like a Democrat in Washington, it just don't talk. Don't yeah, do yeah, of it. Course. Of course. Don't do anything. Yeah. Just watch Marjorie Taylor Greene and and Matt McCarthy and, yeah. and like just let let them do whatever they're going to do. It's going to be terrible. Although I just saw right before we started. You mean recording, Kevin McCarthy, not Andrew McCarthy? What? Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Like, <laughs> that was a slip there. Uh, <laughs> I've been thinking <laughs> both of possible guests and uh, bad uh, Brat Pack uh, actors. Um, yeah, that's right. In improbably going to write you know the uh the meaning of life on the front page of the new york times as the uh, denouement of saint Elmo's fire which is just about the worst idea of a movie or a subplot within the movie um uh no it's a it's a it's an absolute shit show they all went home we're recording this on thursday um and the i think the last thing that i saw in addition to them just pooping on their shoes on live television um is that now 
the Pentagon has just said, you know what? We're just going to fund Ukraine anyways. <laughs> like, we're not going to. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure that I like that as like, you know, you know I'm, idea, in, I'm in favor of funding Ukraine as a, as a basic idea, which is not something that uh, necessarily all my colleagues at Reason Magazine, for example, would agree with. Um, but uh, I don't think that you should have a special like Pentagon exemption to the congressional authorization that's prescribed in the constitution from what I understand, yeah. right? Like yeah. the, the, the power of the purse and whatnot. But yeah, that they're just like at this point stepping back and saying, okay, the Congress is not going to work. We're just going to fund Ukraine forever. It's a kind of a weird thing. Who's the, uh, the, the representative from Montana, I believe, who's just one of these guys who's leading the, the uh, kind of government shutdown charge, who was, I mean, I have to look him up. He was on Fox and Friends. And he was absolutely worked over by Brian Kilmeade, which what? so when you, the, the kind of circular firing squad is actually taking Fox into this too, and they're like, "Really? What? You're this is you're this is a suicide mission? They're going to blame Republicans for this as they always do in a government shutdown. Nobody wins. What is the exit strategy?" And he was like, "He was like such a jerk." And it's an incredible clip, and I don't remember the guy's name because he's a nobody. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll watch how that plays out. Um, because at the moment it's just a total clusterfuck and not something I probably not even something worth discussing until they further, uh, suicide bomb themselves into oblivion. I mean, they'll, they'll, they will figure it out and, and sign some continuing resolution because there's absolutely mm -hmm. no appetite for doing anything. Um, but they and, don't even have one yet. There's no continuing resolution on the table at this point, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it's more like, uh, the, it, are we going to do the normal, like we always pass it defense authorization and they're not even doing that anymore. Um, so so uh, let me hijack this for a second. Just say Please. that before, <clears throat> because the kind of machinations of the dumb Republican party um, can be a bit eye glazing until they, as I said, really blow themselves up. But what is not eye glazing and what is something that I am very interested in. I know we have all traded uh, texts about this, and I know our listeners are interested in because I think a few have emailed about this. Is our hero, um, one of the few geniuses in America, uh, named Steve? I thought you were talking about Russell Brand. Yeah, oh, but... yeah, well, we'll get back to that. Um, <laughs> he's not in America, yeah, so. he's not in America. <laughs> he, he's in, I think he's in jail, but he uh, oh, no. is uh, Ibram X. Kendi, Steve Kendi, or whatever his oh, original yes. name is. Um, mm. who um, is presiding over an anti, presided over an anti-racism institute at Boston University, which mm -hmm. um, was uh, founded to create um, or to pursue research on uh, white supremacy and uh, anti-racism solutions to white supremacy. Uh, but it mm -hmm. appears that they've produced no research and squandered millions of dollars and no one knows where it is. Approximately Which, forty-three million dollars. Yeah, I can guess where some of it is, but but can we just talk about the the impossible standard that he's being held to? And I, I really do think, after a long time, you know, criticizing him and and disrespecting him and <laughs> just doing everything I can to deride him because he's awful and a monster, I, I see that he may be right here. He may be onto something. <laughs> I think we are holding him to an impossible white supremacist racist standard insisting yes. on things like transparency and accountability, which are obviously tools of white supremacy, which were yes. designed for the purposes of taking down prominent, successful 
black men, capital mm-hmm. B black men, like mm-hmm. Ibram Kendi. And that's what's going on here. That is the I only see. explanation for what's happening here with Black Lives Matter, who's also had some weird financial trouble of late. And what Color of Change, another organization which has also encountered some trouble. All of these organizations were duped into thinking that they were getting real support from white people mm-hmm. who gave them millions and millions of dollars. They just turned on the fire hose, drowned them in money, and they didn't see that it was a white supremacist plot to yes. undermine their organizations by giving them more resources than they knew what to do with so that they could buy palatial estates, et cetera, and then go out of business several years later. Who could yes, have seen this I mean, t- totally. I mean, why wait for the state to uh, embark on a uh, reparations journey when you can do yes. it on your own? And I'm sh- I, yes. don't know if, I don't know if Patrice Cooler's and Irmax Kennedy have <laughs> adjoining mansions or if there's maybe maybe a Al Capone-like tunnel that connects the two, which is full of gold bars from all the credulous honkies that paid up in 2020. Yeah. But um, they seem to have produced that. They, they've laid off half their staff. Um, which I'm More having, than half the staff at this point. I think point. maybe yeah. more. And according to the latest update... Um, He's he told Axios um, today. Um, oh, he did finally make a he comment. He finally made a comment. So I want to. I mean, oh, I'm, my I'm reading this. I didn't know about this. I was I reading this as it comes across the transom. It was one of Breaking the most news, difficult people. decisions of my career to execute these layoffs. Maybe a different verb um, <laughs> <laughs> to execute these anti-racists, but they were done to ensure impact and sustainability to ensure that the center of anti-racist research will be around 50 years from now. I'm really mm, devastated. Taking the under. Yeah, I'm taking the under on that one. Yeah, it's, I love it. They were, I love the euphemisms like Vice did that too. It was like, we're, ex- we're, we're embarking on an exciting journey of firing all of you. This is, <laughs> I, this, I like, you know, to ensure impact and sustainability. I'm really devastated both because of having to lay people off, but then also because there's certainly disgruntled people who are sort of using this moment to express <gasps> problems? That's not a monsters and, alleg- <laughs> and allegations that are baseless, unfounded. And that is a reference to uh, somebody who worked there, um, who I think probably spoke to the Boston Globe, uh, who said, um, "Yeah, we don't. We I'd love to know where all this money went." And actually uses the language. And this is the problem, by the way. When you mm-hmm. when you get into this kind of universe where that is the common language that's the lingua franca of people talking to each other the person talked to the boston globe was like they are doing violence upon me and this is like a hate it was like all of the language that you would expect when you hire people like this and you have claims of discrimination yes exactly it is exactly what's happening to lizzo and who has another lawsuit by the way today if another one was filed uh it was saying like she is like fat shaming and she is uh racist all this stuff that it's like the language that she uses in everyday life about, you know, um, her universe and the things that she cares about, which is, you know, um, what is the, what is the, I always get the show title wrong. Uh, uh, oh, watch out for the big watch girls. Watch out for the fat girls or whatever it's called. Is that what it's B- called? Big yes. girls. Well, big she girls. said, oh, we did. It's not watch out for the fat girls. No, I think it's watch out for the big girls. But like, it's not a big personality. They're just physically big. So let's be honest, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to get things straight. I think uh, I think there are layers, and if, and oh, if, there I, are layers. if we're going to be <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally accurate here, it's actually girls, G R R R L S. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> girls. Yeah. 
hungry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> No, sorry, no, sorry, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep Wait. that one in. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Truth in advertising. I am literally Hamas tonight. Oh, I am God. just strapping it on my chest <laughs> and ready to to blow it up. So, so yeah. Ibram X Kennedy, by the way, is a genius. I just want you to know that he's a genius. I sent you guys a sentence <laughs> because I have a cl- I have these clips from the thing that I'm writing about about his book, and um, I have just uh, clips that are just it just says bad writing. And mm-hmm. it's just sentences <laughs> that I've come across that I'm just like, why did no editor? And this is the one I sent you guys today. And uh, yeah. this is about Reagan uh, uh, challenging Gerald Ford in 1976. This is the sentence I think it was great. This Wh- real which life book is this? Uh, stamped from the beginning. Uh, okay. And that means that we are racist and we've always been racist and always will be. Uh, by the way, he calls Martin Luther King a racist in the book, which is really funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He embraced racist ideas. Yes, he did. Like transparency. That's what yes. I'm saying. There is a professor, by the way, who's still around and older now, black woman, who's pretty radical. And uh, uh, he called her a racist and I emailed her about it. And uh, she hasn't gotten back to me, but I know she's read the email. So <laughs> um, this is my sentence. Yeah, we know. We're watching you. Uh, this real life Rocky, because he was talking about how racist uh, the movie Rocky was. Because um, uh, he was fighting a black man who was a, a, a savage type figure. It's the most insane thing I've ever read. And I'm like, I don't think that's what's happening, but okay. Um, <laughs> this real life Rocky, that's Reagan, <laughs> apparently, decided to challenge incumbent Gerald Ford for the presidential seat on the Republican ticket in 1976. <laughs> Reagan fought down all those empowerment movements fomenting in his home state of California and across the nation. Like, I don't, what is that? Like, again, I don't know what that means. That's like a bunch of words spilled on the ground and candy is quickly picking them up and putting them back into the word processor, not really sorting out the order. So anyways, I love, I I love that on his website um, where it lists all the, the various accolades um, there is the first one in the list under when you scroll down is MacArthur quote genius unquote. Fellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Why, he doesn't, he doesn't why believe is, it. Why, <laughs> why did you put genius in quotes? I don't understand. It is the, you're a MacArthur genius fellow. Why is it in yeah. quotes? Capitalize yeah. that. He's, he's suspicious. Like, yeah. He's suspicious. Very suspicious oh of his own. <laughs> I think that there's, what we're seeing is like this belated acknowledgement that everyone lost their minds for about three months in 2020. Yeah. Like just everyone yeah. lost their minds. Are people acknowledging that? It was. It's a, uh, it's a quiet. It's a quiet, under-acknowledged acknowledgement, or like it's a passive acknowledgement. Let's say. I need which to is to say more. that like Ibram X. Kendi, Robin D'Angelo, uh, there's a whole intellectual kind of thought uh, that if an outcome was disproportionately bad against a minority group, as defined by historically disproportionate populations of people. Uh, or like uh, persecuted uh, uh, people, um, then therefore that was enough for it to be racist. That's an insane uh, standard. Yes, it's, yeah. it's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's it's also a standard that if you wanted to, if you really wanted to roll that way, you could roll it against just about every beloved left of center Democratic legislative accomplishment in the last 100 years, without exception, sure. for the most part. Sure. Um, there might be some exceptions, but there wouldn't be that <clears throat> many. But there isn't. 
that sense of equally applied idea. It's not an intellectually serious concept at all. And kind of everyone knew it, but they were willing for a while to just throw money at the feeling. I mean, thank God for all of the excess that capitalism can give off, all the froth on the <laughs> top of the cappuccino, um, because everyone just firehosed money <laughs> into, uh, yeah. into, I mean, like Black Lives Matter, uh, it's more than $100 million into just a one or two organizations over there who didn't really even have much of a program or a plan um, besides the basic real estate and like Studio City. That Gotta one, buy the uh, house. Tries to execute. <laughs> How can you, where are you going to work from? You got to buy a house to work from, asshole. You have this like surplus money and then just feeling. And so people throw money at something without any sense at all. And Kat Rosenfield uh, has wrote about this a couple of times really, uh, really well, um, that like the lack of accountability was based, was baked into it. Like, we're just going to throw money because that's going to demonstrate our virtue right now. And if any of us have spent a minute reading the underlying literature, including stuff that's been incredibly overpraised, given all these awards, genius grants, book of the year, whatever, um, if anyone actually reads it, which is a very small number of people, like, oh, okay, no, this is terrible stuff. And we have commenters um, and listeners who uh, get mad when we say that something like Russell Brand is not funny or is just, like the quality of his writing is terrible or Ibram X. Kennedy is terrible. Well, that's true. Uh, which uh, the problem is it's both true, <laughs> um, but like you, you actually have to have some standards in this world um, yeah. of, of like ideas and talk and whatnot. Um, and it's not just uh, from on our part, I do not think like, oh, it's because they have bad politics. We don't like the standard. It's kind of no. sort of the opposite, really. Like I, you know, like uh nehisi Coates, I disagree with him. And I think that he's overrated as a writer, that people love adjectives. They don't. Uh, they're not necessarily getting down into the the nitty grittiness <laughs> of of his uh, discussion, but he's not um, some kind of like fraudulent one bad note Johnny in the way that mm-hmm. Max Candy and Robin D'Angelo absolutely are, and who have yeah, their own money making scam. I don't want to say grift because it's overused, but it's a fucking grift um, uh, <laughs> into it, which is just like you can never be healed, but in the meantime. The one thing that you can do is give money to this organization, which just is me. <laughs> um, and uh, I think people kind of knew it, but they weren't invested enough in it to like in the accountability of it to do anything about it. Um, and so eventually all these things will come around. And if you start a research center at a university <laughs> yeah, <laughs> produces no research, yeah. this is going to be an expiration date. It ain't going to be 50 years. It's at some point it's going to become due, I think. What are the I things think he's th- doing us a public service by by allowing the thing to uh, just kind of implode in the way he has. I mean, they could have done a Camille, bunch of it's going to last for and... 50 years. Come on. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> They're yeah, going to continue to... for 50 years. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Well, Let the, them do that on their own. Just keep the, their hands to themselves. The hard thing about this for him, I imagine, and I don't know much about what he did prior to these books that a bunch of people bought and nobody read. Um, I appear to be the first one who's (laughs) read this book because it's unbelievably bad. My favorite bit, I think I sent you guys this one too, is the bit that sounds like Google Translate or that it was written by Borat when he refers to Apollo Creed. I'm sorry, I love this Rocky section. And he says um, that uh, Apollo Creed is a cocky African-American world heavy champion. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, Koki, African American, world heavy champion. It's like world heavy champion. Did, did Joe have an editor? Did no one think heavyweight? I, I weight? think does anyone... editorial editorial standards are white supremacy. Uh, Absolutely, grammar. Don't edit that. <laughs> grammar. But the thing about it's this too book much. that is, yes. you know, you, you would imagine this doesn't surprise me that the whole thing's falling apart. And they produced no research because it won a national book award, and it's. They're made into a kid's book. They're making it into a film, all this stuff. Um, there's literally, as far as I can tell, and if somebody, if, if, if I'm wrong about this, please point it out because I'm not finished with this. There is literally no original research in it. None. No archival research. Everything comes from some, it's a, it's a pastiche of other people's work. Um, but he does this thing, by the way, which is a trick a lot of people do. And it's very, very hard to, to write about because it feels like a very tired and exhausting aside. But what will happen is you can find the location of the, all of this stuff, quotes that are strung together, quotes from this paper, that paper, and then the citation will be the paper, right? New York Times, 1960. But it's all actually from another book. He's found it all in another place. And then instead of giving the book as the citation, which is the place that collects all these quotes, he gives the actual date, which is true, but it's not really where he got it. It's not like he was toiling in the archives. It's all from somewhere else. I mean, there's, there doesn't appear to be any original research in the book, as far as I can tell. It's somebody who basically sat on their laptop and grabbed a bunch of books off the shelf and found the interesting parts and then laced it all together. There's nothing wrong with that, um, unless you're plagiarizing it, but he's not doing that. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. There is, it's just not like, you know, the guy who's going to have a research center, you know, like um, so many sort of black academics that I can think of who have done really interesting research over the years. Not him. Yeah. Just pathetic, miserable failure. And, yes. Um, good. Good. Let it be recognized. Yeah. Let and him it, earn his comeuppance. It, this will never go away, actually. He will always be prominent. He has shaped and changed the culture. And there is a, a real sense in which the thought that I had today was there is always that weird guy in the barbershop. He had his seat like way back in the back and he signed it aggressively um, Afrocentric. And he, yeah. weird, he wore a leather um, uh, medallion in the mm -hmm. shape of the continent of Africa mm -hmm. and everybody just kind of wanted like him to shut up, but yeah. he wouldn't, he wouldn't shut up. He yeah. kept going on about the, the wonders of Kemet and he would try to sell you like bootleg cologne and who knew <laughs> that he would end up being yeah. the intellectual foundation yes. of elite perspective in circa 2023. Who knew? I, I wanted him to shut up, and I should have been taking notes. What if he found out that BU took all that money and bought a bunch of bootleg cologne with it? And it says, I got that. I got that. I got that. You like that cool water? I got it. I got it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like, the same thing, yeah, yeah, but I mean, you yeah. just put this oil right here, right yeah. there. See, look, yeah. it smells like, smell like it, don't it? It smells like cool transmission fluid, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you need some incense too? I got you. I got you. <laughs> we know. We know. My big um, mi micro theory, and this is uh, apropos of nothing, except that I uh, noticed it earlier today. Scott Adams was tweeted into my uh, stream today, which mm. I still stupidly look at Twitter now and again. Um, and the cartoonist, you know, Dilbert and whatnot, uh, MAGA guy, um, uh, says, and I'm bringing this up because I can't believe the overlap at this point between this kind of Scott Adams lever le level of conspiratorial MAGA and kind of the guy in your barbershop, yeah. like the mm. kind of 
KRS one, nineteen late eighties, early nineties yeah. stuff. I'll just read this. Uh, the gears of the machine are becoming obvious. He writes. That's always a pretty good uh, opener. <laughs> uh, the CIA evidently supports the cartels. Okay, evidently, this is like this is straight Evid- out uh, boogie down I like, productions. I, I like by the way that the word evidently. The root of the word is evidence, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, evidently. <laughs> uh, and then uh, then in parentheses to uh, amplify this, because the CIA can stop everything else they want to stop in this hemisphere. Oh, my God. I wish that were true. <laughs> and parentheses. <laughs> so, so does Tessa. Uh, cartels evidently control Democrats. Uh, okay. And, uh, you see where this is coming. Uh, another parentheses. No other explanation for open borders. Where's uh, that parentheses? Okay. Now, uh, Democrats slash CIA control the media. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Cocaine business controls yes. America. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then, <laughs> then, <laughs> and then he puts in. You want some cocaine? Where's, where's Frank Rich right now? What David Brooks writing? You know, I have to know. <laughs> what David Brooks writing is about $80 at Newark Airport. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so after he writes, Democrats slash CIA control the media, parentheses, Established fact. Close parentheses. Wait, 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 wait. which one was established wait, fact? The which Democrats the... slash CIA control the media. Oh, established huh. facts. Established. And then he closes on, and again, this is just pure boogie down productions in mm-hmm. 1991. <laughs> the media controls voter minds. Yes, of course. Of course. Mm. Yeah. So I'm saying that MAGA, MAGA, wow. whatever people could bust me on my bad pronunciation, um, is becoming NOI. I think this is this is where we're going. <laughs> sure, and yeah. it's awesome. I'm here yeah. for it. Well, I'll tell you what. What's what's ultra MAGA? The ultra MAGA. I guess that was a Joe Biden phrase. Is um the uh, weird um Hispanic incel? What is his name? Uh, who's hanging out? Pedro with Gonzalez. No, that's a different one. Uh, <laughs> uh, the one who's hanging out with Kanye. Uh, the, the Holocaust denier there. Uh, what's his name? Yeah, Kanye's funny. They're hanging out with him and Milo. Oh, and, oh, the little the, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah the little guy. Yeah, I Nick Fuentes. His name. Yeah. So, like, yeah. it, just like NOI, it ends on Nick Fuentes, and Nick Fuentes is all about <laughs> the Jews controlling everything, just like <laughs> NOI. So, yeah, no, I see that that path. Um, it's a pretty obvious one. It's been repeated throughout American history that um, people on the, you know, what was it, um, uh, Spotlight or something, one of these... Um, uh, crazy uh, anti-Semitic publications that was kind of born out of the the Birchers. I can't remember the name. Of it. it was finally it might even be the anti-racist magazine from London. But there was one of these um, types of things. But it's, it's perfectly uh, understandable that everybody on both sides, not understandable, but expected, I should say, that everybody on both sides in the far left and the far right end up just going on about how the Jews control everything. And, uh, and to which my response is, you're just jealous. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get a job. Stop being jealous. Stop working hard and stop being jealous. <laughs> one, uh, Say one, nice things about them. They'll be nice to you. It's very easy. It's yeah. not so complicated. One of our listeners on Twitter uh, <laughs> just today accused us of oh, like no. uh, being jealous of Russell Brand, which I thought was Oh, what? is that right? <laughs> is that right? Seriously? I didn't see that. I How missed that. This is going to make sense. Uh, I'm going to be jealous I, of Russell Brand. I want, listen, I want to be able to like let the chest hair fly like that. I'm not, I'm not going to lie about that. That'd be yeah. great. Um, yeah. That, if it like gets into my like 1978 soul, 
Um, yeah. But no, that doesn't make any sense at all. Are you jealous yeah. of the the sentence, this attitude of churlish indifference seems like nerdish deference contrasted with the belligerent apathy, <laughs> antipathy, antipathy of the indigenous farm folk who regard the hippy-dippy interlopers, the denizens of the shir- shimmering tit temples as one phase step away from transvestites? Are you jealous of that sentence, Matt? This is <laughs> I would. In a book. <laughs> I would be same was, editor as Ibram X. Kendi, apparently. <laughs> if it was read in actual Russell Brand accent, then yes, yeah. absolutely. We we also got an email that I just happened to happened to pop up when I was reading my emails from from some guy from Cork, uh, Doucha boy from uh, from Cork uh, in, in Ireland, who said uh, something is true. Actually, uh, he was like, you know, I like the podcast and everything, but you guys um, are really on this like thing that bothers me you keep on calling everybody idiots and morons and i'm like that's true but there are a lot of them out there i don't know what to say like there's a lot of really dumb people operating at the moment so we had baked into the beginning of this podcast a segment called some idiot wrote this and <laughs> that's true we stopped because yeah, like the, it was getting too it was much. overwhelming it was too much it was, it was too much yeah. it's too much i also wanted to be a little more positive because there, be there are good things too and, can... and good people out there and sure and i i do think this week i mean because we have slagged um russell brand uh, appropriately and on the merits uh, for a couple of weeks now. And I think it's probably appropriate to mention that this week, a British parliamentary committee sent a letter to rumble. Mm -hmm. And this letter uh, was essentially suggesting that rumble needs to make it clear that they plan to prevent Mr. Brand from being able to earn revenue, producing videos, defending himself Mm-hmm. from allegations um, that he has done various bad things. Now, for context, dear listener, Russell Brand has been accused of things. Certain yes. things have been alleged. He has not been convicted of anything. It is very, very alarming. And I mean it, like genuinely disconcerting to see Russell Brand, um, to see a, a, a government actually reaching out to private companies encouraging them to censor someone, to remove them from the platform, to prevent them from earning a living um, on the basis of allegations and speculation. Like it, it is genuinely horrendous. Um, apparently, Rumble did respond um, and said that they support uh, an investigation into Mr. Brand's behavior, um, but they, they will refrain from putting any sort of uh, clamps on him um, and it should also be noted that YouTube um, is another place where Russell had been publishing um, his content. Uh, YouTube very quickly took action to demonetize him, if not shut down his channel altogether. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Just um, once these allegations think became at the public, moment, yeah. So yeah. just just demonetized. Yeah. But he had um, apparently rather smartly uh, made a decision to move from YouTube over to Rumble, and I think made a pretty pretty big bit of noise about it. Um, when he made that change probably over a year ago at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's genuinely disconcerting worth acknowledging as much. Um, not just sure. acknowledging, not but like fan like of Mr. Brand, but high fiving is not appropriate. High fiving rumble for, cause their pushback wasn't just like, ah, we're not really going to do that. Their pushback was much more of a middle finger, which is appropriate and, and a lot more dairy uh, in the legal contents, uh, context of the UK than it would be in the United States, which has more robust mm-hmm. uh, speech protections. Um, it's awful. I mean, 
the how quickly you can be demonetized over not even uh, you know uh, proven actions, but just allegations that are nowhere near being adjudicated. Um, it's bad. All you're doing is you're giving a lot of fodder to, among other people, those who want super heavy regulation of all the social media companies because they don't like what's happening with it. And that's not going to lead to anything great free speech wise. Uh, and we've seen in this country to um, the credit of our judiciary and the discredit of the White House and the journalistic class. Um, you know, there, there were a, a successful attempts by the White House, by the Biden White House in particular, to crack down on social media companies waving the CDC's recommendations in the air about COVID mm -hmm. and saying, you better do this. And they've been trimmed back by a series of decisions so far, uh, uh, ones that have not been very robustly acknowledged or processed by the media, uh, I'm, I hasten to add. And it's awful. We should not stand for any of this as Americans to have the government sitting up there from the White House lectern and saying that social media is killing people, which is what Joe Biden said repeatedly what the uh, Surgeon General said repeatedly and telling Spotify, like, you got to do more to crack down on Joe Rogan. What the fuck was that? That was yeah. the thing that there was a whole season that that was happening from the White House is like every day. What is Jen Psaki going to say about what what social media companies need to do to, like, deal with all the terrible COVID disinformation by their popular podcasters out there that is not the government's role people uh yeah. you're having a hard enough time not stepping on your own fucking dick uh saying things that are wrong about covid that's not a, a like an incidental thing you, you know they contributed to through their pressure you know youtube banning rand paul from saying things like you know masks don't really do a lot to stop the spread which mm -hmm. turned out to be true and acknowledged by the cdc months later um that's awful and like that should be like full stop awful of, of yeah. oh, how did that happen? How did we get there? And how do we make sure that doesn't happen again? And I don't see that kind of uh, introspection at all happening in the media so far. I mean, the fact that we're in a moment, and it's a prolonged moment too, one would have expected that it would have tapered off a little bit, much like support for some of the people we were talking about in the last segment about uh, you know Black Lives Matter and some of these groups that were fundraising and their fundraising has collapsed because the moment has ended. One of the things that I expected and I hoped would, would end was this um, idea that one needs to be undemocratic to quote unquote save democracy. When you stop, start <laughs> framing everything, that democracy dies in darkness, that democracy is under threat, that it is actually quite useful for a lot of people to say that next election is yet again a referendum on democracy. And you have to say, well, Donald Trump said all these horrible things before and January 6th happened. Um, but, you know, he did leave power and, you know, left Joe Biden a note in the Oval Office that, according to Joe Biden, was was quite nice, surprisingly. But he's never revealed the contents of that. But this kind of undemocratic thing that is always looming. Now, sure, one can be worried about these these kind of instincts in the body politic and, and one would be stupid to not do so. But when the word misinformation has become so bastardized and so meaningless on this elastic meaning of all this stuff, that we are we need to stop this stuff in the name of democracy. We have to be undemocratic is alarming. And the fact that, you know, the UK obviously is different for when you're doing a, a broadcast about Russell Brand, for instance. One of the reasons I imagine it took so long is because libel laws in the UK are a lot looser than they are here. 
and people can be destroyed and bankrupted by them pretty quickly. But this letter, which um, you have to kind of read to believe, which is signed by Dame <laughs> Caroline Dinage, Dinage or whatever her name is, DBE, which is a dame of the uh, British Empire, which is a title that she got from marrying some fool who was in the House of Lords. So <laughs> already we're on a ridiculous footing, right? This is a woman who has a title that she got from marrying some schlub. Um, we would be grateful if you could confirm whether Mr. Brand is able to monetize his content, including his videos relating, relating to the serious accusations against him. They seem to believe that when he, as they say, preemptively tried to rebut these allegations against him, that this is the offense, right? So the last paragraph in this, we would also like to know what Rumble is doing to ensure that creators are not able to use the platform. Now, <laughs> imagine this flabbiness to undermine the welfare of victims of inappropriate or potentially illegal behavior. That's so the, prob the problem is not that Russell Brand has a platform. It's that he talked about the charges. And to talk mm -hmm. about them, the things that might be illegal, one should not be able to make money off of that. You know, that stuff, Rumble, which I know very little about, is obviously outrageous. But, you know, the YouTube thing is especially outrageous. I mean, we are in a place where everybody, regardless of what they think about these allegations, I find Russell Brand to be a very unappealing figure. I think that there's a lot of reason to believe some of these accounts, but I don't know that for a fact. Um, and a court of law should adjudicate these things. Accusations leading to demonetization is a, a invitation for people to go after the people that they don't like. With yes. with bullshit with bullshit accusation, it's it's absolutely incredible to me that that they would do that. Which again feels like a a twenty twenty move. Like we did lose our minds in twenty twenty. There are a lot of accusations against a lot of people that we will look back, and we already are starting to look back and like, what did we? How? Huh? He lost his job because of that. What? Um, are are we doing that though? I mean, we we have always been scrutinizing that sort of thing to the extent other people are who were perhaps aware, who are now aware of the madness that they had succumbed to before. I don't really hear a lot of public yeah. acknowledgement of the errors that were made, and I keep thinking I have a friend who I care about a great deal, who's very bright, uh, an accomplished media person, and we talk frequently. And he always talks to me about how he wishes that we had, you know, quality political leadership in this country and what, it, what an amazing thing it would be if we had someone respectable running for office from either party. And I don't have nearly the same sort of um, high expectations for elected leadership and I think a lot about the fact that we've just never really had any sort of meaningful inquiry into what happened with COVID or any of the other like media, the weird media stuff that we're talking about now. And one could just imagine what that would look like if it actually happened. Like if it were thoughtfully executed and led by sane people who were willing to just have sober conversations about the need to balance public safety with freedom of speech and the absolute importance of the government not engaging in any sort of de facto or de jure censorship. And again, we've never had those conversations. We've only had in a back and forth demonization and hyperbole and hysteria um, of all kinds from both sides. And, you know, we're getting ready to have an impeachment inquiry, which, you know, in general, I'm, I'm fine with because make impeachment great again. 
we, we will never ever have that officially on the record conversation. And I don't think we'll ever see members of major media like publicly acknowledge the horrific mistakes that they made for the most part. It is, it is still really no. noteworthy when we encounter someone who has publicly acknowledged that they made some mistakes, publicly acknowledged that they need to, to ensure that they don't fall victim to that kind of thing before. And generally, the people who do that aren't universally applauded. They are condemned by members of their own team, yeah. so to speak. Um, and they're applauded maybe by, by some people from the other side. Um, but I, I don't know that there are many, many people who are actually doing this publicly. I wish there were. No. Um, and there, there aren't, it. but it's, it's also the ACLUization of everything. And mm. in what I mean by that is that, you know, the ACLU decided that we didn't want to, after Charlottesville, uh, you know, defend the rights of Nazis protesting because right. one of the guys drove his car backwards over a woman and, and, and killed her. Um, and that's kind of what you get when these people show up. Um, that really doesn't matter when you think about free speech in the way that the ACLU you used to think about free speech. But if you think about people in our universe, I, I see a number of people that we know talking about, oh, these people aren't real. They don't, they're not free speech advocates. Mm -hmm. And I said to you guys in a text today that nobody's ever making the affirmative case for speech, particular people that I'm thinking of, and just talking about how people are hypocrites. And it ends with the ACLUization of this is those are the people that end up getting into this, getting into this kind of character online in their writing, in their tweeting, in which it's always, you know, the bad guys are Jordan Peterson and these people who are not consistent in their views of free speech. Okay, fine. If that's true, I don't know. Maybe that is true. I don't give a shit, to be mm -hmm. honest. But when something like this happens to Russell Brand, they're not going to run to the barricades and say, this is actually outrageous because you don't want to be on that side in the same way the ACLU has, has decided to, to kind of reformulate the entire idea of the organization. It's many, many years. It's storied history because a bunch of young people that just kind of, you know, graduated from Simon's Rock or something decides that <laughs> they don't want to be in the same room with these icky people. So therefore, who like the friends of ours, who I think some of whom you probably know I'm talking about, I imagine they're not tweeting about how horrible it is that Russell Brand is being demonetized at YouTube for accusations. Regardless of how credible you think these accusations are, there has to be some authority that is not one newspaper, one documentary that decides that, okay, this is, you know, the final word in this, uh, this matter, mm -hmm. and you shouldn't actually be able to make money. The, the point is, is that, are you saying something on your channel that says, I love rape. I think rape is the fucking best and everyone should engage in, okay, then demonetize them fine because it's gross and it's probably a violation of their terms of service. But they found this very odd terms of service clause to, to, you know, because they always do that. They write it in that Apple terms of service way. There's mm. always a sentence in there that they can use if they want to break up with you. But I think it's a very scary precedent. And if you want more polarization in this world where more people get their news from Newsmax and OAN and things like this and go to places like Rumble or BitChute or these places that are a little more Wild West, that is going to happen when you say to somebody like Russell Brand, who is in Get Him to the Greek and forgetting Sarah Marshall and was like a big, married to Katy Perry. He's not some random guy. He's not some fucking crazy. I mean, he's a crazy person, but 
but it's 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 just a wild situation that we're in that people decide that they can um, take away. I mean, because the point is not to squelch the speech because that speech they know is never going away. It's about making sure people can't earn a living. And I find that really, really distasteful. To your point, Camille, earlier about uh, commission, I actually want to be optimistic. I want to be more optimistic than Camille Foster right now. Well, that's um, that's not hard to do. Uh, and about this topic, emphasis yeah. is on want. Um, <laughs> doesn't mean I am. Uh, I don't see a future either in which you can imagine that kind of seriousness. Um, and I know that the first people who will say anything like this will immediately be savaged because it's already happened. Um, there was, I think it was Emily Oster and I, and I, uh, apologize if I get this wrong, but she's the, does a newsletter on Substack about, um, uh, parenting and questions, very smart, very data driven. And at various points in the pandemic, she was an incredible resource for the question of like, what do we do about our, you know, under fives and our 10 year olds as a parent and as a society, as a government, what to do. And she, I think came out for the most part, very sensibly on this, but about nine months ago, she's like, you know, maybe we needed some kind of amnesty for where people were on um, uh, questions of like childhood masking and and kid-based policies and opening or closing schools. Um, and again, she had been on uh, mostly on what I would might describe as my side of this, which is that um, it's outrageous that they closed schools basically from September 2020 onward uh, in America, which was pretty unusual uh, considering the rest of the world. Um, and she provided a lot of really good research and data because she's a serious person for those arguments over time. But just because she said the words COVID, amnesty, and schools in the same sentence, people spent a week just eviscerating her. And something similar happened, um, I think, for more uh, good reason, but also for some similar reason recently to Gavin Newsom, right? Mm. Gavin Newsom, who is supposed to, you know, He's doing this weird dance of like, I'm going to run for president, except I'm totally not running for president, but I'm just going to make sure I'm the guy that you think of if this gets serious <laughs> enough that someone else needs to run for president. So I think that impetus drove him about one week ago to say, you know, I made some mistakes <laughs> with COVID um, and I think we need to, we all made mistakes and uh, we, we need to have some kind of like truth commission to look into it. He was predictably immediately probably by me i don't remember uh savaged for this because he was so incredibly awful and hypocritical california was yellow taping outdoor playgrounds uh well into 2021 i mean it's just the words can't describe how awful his policies were and and how much uh hypocrisy he was personally engaging in uh, whether, you know, dining indoors when that was illegal, having his kids go to private schools when all the public schools were closed and such like. So I get the vitriol. Um, but eventually I want to be in a place. I want America to be in a place where that is no longer unthinkable to actually have a serious look at that, because um, it did lead to some horrible decisions that were the ramifications of which we're going to be living with for a really long time, um, mm -hmm. especially as concerns kids and also, at some point, we do need to become a serious country again. We've been taking, you know, we were like a badly run serious country for a long time. And we've like taken this populist jag. Um, and now we are in Scott Adamsville. Now we are all NOI. Now it's just bad. Like the level of basic human discourse is bad. What Moynihan was saying earlier, and it's great because I don't have to look at him anymore. 
um, now that he's <laughs> turned off his video. Uh, what is, ah, damn it. He's back now. He's God back. damn it. I thought I- You say that shit, I'm gonna come back. <laughs> <laughs> My ugly face is gonna come back. You missed the eulogy that we gave for you when you were gone. It was really, it was really heartfelt. I mean, you're probably gonna have to do a real one in about six months anyway, so. That's okay. exactly what we said. Just so, warm up. <laughs> uh, I forget whatever point that Moynihan made that was good because it was obviously so transitory. Um, uh, but, but yeah, we're, oh, we're going to have to be in a place where we can deal with this stuff seriously. Um, we're not nearly at this place now, but at some point, like you need to do some kind of basic work in that direction. So um, it's not going to be Avin Newsom leading this or leading anything in a positive direction uh, in general. But, uh, but we went to crazy places and those crazy places still exist. I mean, the reason why the shitty New Mexico governor thought that she could declare a state of emergency and so that nobody could have like guns in Albuquerque or whatever the hell that happened last week. Um, that's a COVID story. I mean, it really is. It's like, well, we did a co we did a state of emergency for this. So therefore we can do a state of emergency for that. And if we're going to build the kind of like institutional strength, um, we have to get into a different place. And this, this is the point I'll stop talking um, about that Moynihan uh, referenced earlier, the sense of we need to take a liberal means to restore or defend liberalism. Um, man, it's been everywhere and it's going to be everywhere. This is a media talking about type of podcast for the most part. Mm -hmm. We saw it this week so much uh, just because Donald Trump went on Meet the Press. Um, the reaction to that and then also the reaction to the ongoing properly, um, uh, you know, positioned coverage of Joe Biden being a really old person who repeats the exact same story at a fundraiser twice within a very short period of time and not knowing where he is. Um, there is a, a move afoot among the people inside of journalism who talk about journalism and attempt to directionally shape and, and influence how things are going to be covered. They want to use illiberal means to create a an end that they think is going to protect democracy. They want mm -hmm. Donald Trump to not be interviewed anymore. They want journalists to, if they are going to, point out that Joe Biden is old, which he is, and that he's obviously diminished, which he obviously is, that you therefore have to insert, yeah, but <laughs> Donald Trump's <laughs> also old and he's fat. Um, and all, you know, up uh, for, on like 91 counts of being uh, awful and breaking the law. Um, that is going to be with us. I confidently predict for the next 13 months, it's going to be really awful. It's going to further alienate audiences from the mainstream media. And it's also going to shape how people consume information about the presidential race. And it's bad. How yeah. condescending is that to the American people, by the way? Yeah. This idea that you have to constantly remind people the thing that they know and have known since 2015, that Donald Trump is a liar, um, not even a skilled liar. He's just enjoys lying and lies about pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And he is under indictment on 91 counts. You do have the throat clearing to put that in after you say that Joe Biden is old is for it's for it's for the journalist. It's yep. not for the American people. They know this. They know who Donald Trump is. And if they don't, there's no saving them. There's no hope for them. And there's nothing you can do. There's no amount of information you can keep from them that is going to make them better people in more informed voters. It is nonsense. It is about yourself and it is not about um, democracy. Don't pretend it is. 
Well, Matt, you mentioned Meet the Press a moment ago and, and the fact that Donald Trump was just recently interviewed there. Chuck Todd um, is no longer at Meet the Press. I guess that Gavin Newsom interview was one of the final ones he did. Um, and he sort of asked that question very directly um, about uh, Gavin's role um, during COVID policy and the the obvious uh, open hypocrisy there. Um, and Kristen Welker is the new host of Meet the Press. And it is it was interesting to see both her interview, especially after just watching um, Megyn Kelly's extensive interview with Donald Trump, uh, who Donald Trump this week has referred to Megyn Kelly as nasty. Uh, like yeah, Jackson, he means that in the old uh, uh, nasty uh, woman boogie down productions where she she's she's got nasty, nasty as he wants to be. I think yeah. is, what, is what he said. Yeah. Um, but Kristen Welker uh, sat down with Donald Trump, and I mean, she she obviously she she was skeptical. She pushed back. Um, she wasn't really interested in having a protracted exchange about the stolen election as Donald Trump tried to make his case um, on air. I thought she probably could have been a little better prepared, but it was surprising to see, on some level anyways, the vitriolic response from so many members of the media who, as you said, Matt, are seemingly trying to influence her in a very particular direction. Like, do not have these people on anymore. If you do it, this this is some sort of betrayal. It is completely unacceptable. I am curious to see how Meet the Press responds to that. I think culturally, we're in a very different place than we were in 2020. I think it's very likely that they'll continue to try to be a little more even-handed um, in their treatment of of these candidates. But it certainly doesn't seem to me that it is um, it is particularly good judgment on the part of journalists to think that they have the power to actually keep these people out of the public eye um, or to 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 sort of diminish them in a meaningful way, but just not talking to them uh, on air. I just don't think that's practical at all. The very best thing that you could do is just show up and have the conversation. And with respect to Joe Biden's age, the polling has been leading the way on this. The fact that the media is actually covering this topic and talking about it openly has everything to do with the fact that Americans are deeply concerned about it. And that's Democrats and Republicans who feel that Joe Biden is simply too old um, to be doing this job. Um, and there are, you, are constant reminders that that's probably the case. But Camille, there is a response that the people at Meet the Press could offer that'd be a very convincing response beyond go fuck yourself because this is what we do as journalists. <laughs> but the, the bigger, better response to that is when you have somebody who is not, you know, OAN or whatever, Newsmax or, you know, what is it, R, RBN, there's all these weird acronyms um asking him questions guess what you get you get an incredible answer that creates an enormous fissure in the republican party about abortion he yeah. would mm-hmm. not have answered that question if he was if he was asked by a friendly interlocutor right so somebody was pushing him and then he's like i don't you know i don't i don't think this is a good thing i'm you know maybe he would have said that because the polling is kind of on his side when you see how republicans have done on these abortion referenda but I think that in that environment was the environment for him to give that answer. I think he probably would have avoided it or they maybe they avoid those questions because they're not questions. They're sycophantic statements in which is like basically says, I'm, an, I'm so shocked that I'm sitting in front of 
my hero, President Trump. Like, why are you so great? Are you the greatest president ever? Just answer that, honestly. You know, and, and so when you get this answer, it's like, good Lord, that was in- incredibly useful. You don't think that was useful? I mean, are you kidding? I'm not saying mm-hmm. you guys, but the people who are complaining about this stuff are out of their fucking minds. And they're just, and they, they basically say, we, we don't want anything on television that might, might provoke people into voting for Donald Trump. So again, very condescending to the voter is that the only way we can get them to stop voting for Donald Trump is isolating him and making sure that no one ever hears from him. That's a wild way to, to, to live your life as a journalist. One of my favorite quotes about this, and I wrote about this this week, um, is about the like amazing amounts of journalistic hostility towards the idea of even interviewing uh, you know, the guy who got 74 million votes last time and who's the overwhelming presidential frontrunner this time for the uh, GOP. This is from uh, former Chicago Tribune editor Mark Jacob. Is it possible that journalists who platform lying fascists don't Jeez. know they're undermining democracy? Is it possible that people don't agree with me? That Hitler is, I mean, are you kidding? I mean, and by the way, I've said this a million times and I'll say it a million times more. Platforming is the word that we used to call interviewing. And that's, you have to interview people. That's how we know what his position on abortion is because you interview them. Stop being a fucking idiot. And I'm sorry to my friend in Cork who I respect your, your email, but that is fucking idiotic. I mean, truly idiotic. And even like if we're going to judge it on your the possible instrumental uh, impacts on the election, which increasingly um, a lot of these influential media critics want them to do, like Margaret Sullivan, who's the sort of the high priestess of this movement now, is <laughs> she's she's left writing columns about the speech that she gave to her colleagues at the Guardian about how objectivity isn't great anymore, which is just hey. I, that sentence that I just said is so insane on every level um, that I, it makes me uh, uh, tingle with happiness. But um, what she and other people say is that, like, you know, the job of journalism right now is to remind Americans that democracy is at stake. No, with it is not every bit of political <laughs> reporting. That's that's the job. When you take that as your job, if that's your marching orders, um, then uh all kinds of weird things are going to come out of that. Uh, I was shocked to find uh, uh, Jonathan Last at the Bulwark basically say the same thing, um, which was uh, uh, just a strange conception that I would have <laughs> and I, of journalism. Um, says that the media's job, and particularly broadcast media, is to think deeply about how to avoid helping Trump with its coverage. And then it would be nice if the folks in broadcast media could lend us and democracy a hand or at the very least stop giving aid and comfort to the authoritarian just because you want to pull a rating. Do do they know what they sound like at this point? Yeah. Aggressively signaling your fealty to the right team is more important to them than having any semblance of credibility. Like this, I, I'm confident that this even degrades their credibility amongst people who share their view of the world. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't Correct. help but believe that, um, especially, especially after COVID, especially in a, in a in a world where in Chicago and New York City there are town hall meetings where people are effectively have having MAGA pep rallies, shouting mm-hmm. everything but build the wall because they are so incensed 
by the immigrants who are coming in to their into their cities, um, who they're having to put up in tents uh, in Chicago using the exact same contractors who are responsible for helping to bus and fly people out of Florida. (laughs) Absolutely crazy. Um, I I don't know. We could continue to talk about this, but I I definitely want us to be sure to talk about um, the, the polling in the, the Republican presidential race um, just because it is so astonishing. It is really astonishing. But one quick um, final point on this is that when we're talking about democracy, um, what happened on January 6th, um, alarming, we don't need to, to revisit that shitty day and the shitty things that happened, but um, it was foiled. There was no actual plan to to take over the government, et cetera. And um, it was depressing and, and, and really kind of sinister that there are a bunch of Republicans that refused um, and you know, were in the process of actually trying to refuse, actively saying that they were going to re- refuse to kind of validate the election. But that happened and it's done, right? Mm-hmm. Donald Trump walked away, Joe Biden became president. If, if, if Donald Trump wins a second term, and I know the answer that they would give me, but let's be realistic about this, is the idea that he would try to run a third term yeah. Or that, af, that af, I mean, he's also will be 7,000 years old. And at the end of it, he's like, I want to go till I'm 95 and, or, or hand it off to like Seb Gorka. Or, I mean, what is the idea here that is going to happen? Okay, so he's going to do undemocratic things. This is a feature of democracy. People are constantly trying to do undemocratic things, like parliamentarians saying, will you please stop um, allowing this person to have a living because of a newspaper article and a documentary. I mm-hmm. mean, that is an instinct that always happens, right? It's not a good instinct. But I guess the idea is that democracy is going to end and then there's just going to be one party rule uh, that is going to be buttressed by the military. I, what is this idea? So you can I'll, say this. The, but, mechanic, you know, the mechanics to... are that he's going to change the civil service rules. I forget what the order is called, like the control F order or something, uh, which he proposed at the end of his presidency and Biden overturned on day one. Um, But it was an idea that gives a lot more leeway to the White House and the heads of organizations to get rid of people basically for loyalty reasons, uh, just a a broader swath of discretion than before. Once you've installed those loyalists, they can do those awful Trumpy things. um, And on judgment calls, they will judge in his direction. This will also allow him to um, ostensibly appoint more judges who maybe next time won't disagree with him at a rate of around 60 to one, as happened mm-hmm. to all of his judicial challenges uh, last time. Uh, I think it's absolutely th- impossible. This is all absolutely impossible. This is the stuff of science fiction. I mean, could it potentially happen? Yes. Also, that's democracy, by the way of the appointing judges because you won the presidency. It's not, this is, these are democratic actions. I'm sorry that you don't like the results of them. And I'm sure that I wouldn't write like the results of a, a lot of it too. But, you know, that is really kind of cooking up some bizarro world of, of um, you know, these are the potential things that could happen. You know, I don't want to see the man back. But the other thing that is important to know as a political party, it's not about getting on fucking MSNBC every day and saying, the country is over full stop, right? It's not about that. What you have to do if you don't want democracy to, 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 to you know, the, the wheels of it to come, o- uh, to come off and everything to fall apart and us to become fascist Italy or something, what you have to do is you have to rule sensibly. 
you have to rule in a way that people will likely vote for you again. When you do things that are very, very stupid and you drive your own party into, you know, like the side of a mountain, you fly it just directly to, like you're responsible at that point for giving people opportunities to do the things that you hate, right? Oh, sorry, I'm getting a getting a phone call. So <laughs> everything's going wrong tonight. Your, co- but, your co- computer could do everything except broadcast, but it can take a phone call. It's it's never fucking record from this apartment again. But um, <laughs> but yeah, when you're doing these things that are unpopular, when you're saying, you know what, we're going to run a guy who literally walked through a couple of flags at at, at a ceremony with. Uh, Lula and like didn't shake his hand and then said, you're all dog face pony soldiers and just fell asleep on the couch. Like, I I mean, maybe you should say, guys, if we want to save democracy, we don't run this doddering old fool. I'm sorry. But when you do this, when you say the sentence and tell the same story twice within the, 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 and this is, by the way, a White House pool report. This isn't something that's coming from some kind of conspiracy Jim Hoft website. When you do that, when you say this is the guy we want to run. That, by the way, is kind of a sign of dementia. You're repeating the same story twice and not realizing it. That is either early onset or you're somewhere in the throes of it, and it's only going to get worse. You have to dump him, period. People don't want to vote for that. So if democracy's on the ballot, why the fuck are you so unserious that you're going to allow this doddering old fool just thank him? and say, we appreciate you getting us out of the trouble that Donald Trump got us into. As Democrats, we want to give you, uh, you know, a, a gold watch and a, and, a, and a bronze bust of yourself that you'll get confused and start talking to. And then, and then just say, it's all over, okay? I don't give a shit who it is, but it's not you. And because if you do that, then you are also, in your own estimation, if, if, if the other option is no democracy at all, you're facilitating that. You're helping it along by, by uh, you know, not getting in there and saying, no, uh-uh, this isn't working. I don't know about Let's you, Camille, about- but I, I just heard an endorsement from Michael Moynihan for Gavin Newsom. So that's, uh, I wasn't talking <laughs> when I I think in. anybody who is married to one of Don Jr.'s uh, paramours is okay in my book. Yeah. Um, was. They was. This, well, they were. <laughs> they're not still married. Yeah. I, I don't it was think like they're a still married. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That would Sam, be amazing. Well, Sam, we're wild out there in San Francisco. <laughs> um, this, uh, this poll, CNN, um, University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire poll, um, Trump 39%, Vivek at 13%, yeah. Haley 12%, Christie 11%. There is a name I haven't mentioned at all mm-hmm. just yet. Yes. And we've gone through four people. How do you pronounce that? He was that supposed to be days? the guy. This week, it's Ron DeLuzer. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I kid. I can De- he, he hasn't come up with De- that. Ron DeLuzer. What a loser. DeSantis. You know? <laughs> Ron DeSantis. Um, 10% in this poll. Yeah. Um, down yeah. 13 points. Um, look, I don't, I don't love the horse race, but this is kind of fascinating to watch. Um, yeah, for sure. going into the debate, I remember we had a conversation with, uh, with Megyn Kelly the night before or the day before the Republican, or maybe it was the day of the Republican debate. Day of, day of, um, the morning. And remember at some point she asked like, who has the most to lose and gain here? And I remember I said, well, it's Ron. Like he is, he is the one. Um, if he manages to screw this up, he looks more vulnerable. And it seems I was right. 
And I don't really make predictions of that sort at all or, or calls in that in that general vein. But I just want to pat myself on the back for that. being right about this in some way, shape, or form. And Matt I mean, was Camille, saying, this has, Matt was this saying has, he's going to be fine. Right. He's fine. Everybody is making too much noise about this. He's fine. He's going to win. And I, I said, I don't know, Matt. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think that's that's a what quote. I remember. I think that's I that's a recording yeah. that I was just playing that's of you. Not- yeah. I really don't know what's going to happen, but I do think that this is fascinating. I, I'm confident we're all pretty surprised um, to see this particular um, constellation uh, of people. Um, but well, this con- this particular uh, arrangement anyways, um, ordering of, mm. of candidates. I mean, it is New Hampshire, which is a little more liberal um, electorate. A lot and, more. Yeah. And I would say that- But Donald Vivek Trump- too? Vivek too. I mean, Vivek in some sense is is the. Uh, I mean, still at thirteen percent or something. But I, yeah. I think that's that's going to be um, a thing that that you know that's a Herman Cain type thing. He comes and goes, right? But I think that the DeSantis thing is interesting. It's, like, it's been like watching Bitcoin. You know, it's just it's like sliding <laughs> and sliding and sliding. I'm like, I think I got to sell this, right? And particularly when you have so many donors running away from him too. When he doesn't seem to be making any any games, I mean, look, the I'm sure he has, Bitcoin is up sixty percent this year. So, yeah, I, yes, yes. I, yeah. I mean, this is like inflation. <laughs> I mean, it's like still sucks, but it's up sixty percent. But um, no, I would say that that the DeSantis thing. The weird thing is, it's not even that he's getting unfavorable media coverage. He's just kind of getting ignored. Ignored. I haven't seen mm-hmm. a lot, and I've been paying attention. I mean, Vivek is yeah. the thing because it's you know he's the man of the day. Nikki Haley did well in the last debate. I wonder what will happen because the thing is, is that, oh, let's get rid of debates. They're so useless. They actually, you see big bounces. I mean, they're not permanent. These things don't Mm -hmm. last very long. And Donald Trump is not going to be unseated unless he's thrown into the slammer. And even then, it'll be like Bobby Sands um, (laughs) going going to prison and then being elected to parliament. So Nikki Haley got a big bounce. He was already in prison. Nikki Haley got a big bounce for Nikki Haley um, with the the debate. So she was at... nationally at around 3.3% uh, uh, before the debate and 5.5% afterwards. That's big. It's a big change. You know, big, big, almost, big change, yeah. You almost doubled it and you're at 5.5% uh, nationally. The, <laughs> um, New Hampshire is interesting because it is going to be the least friendly place for Trump-style kind of nationalist, populist, you know, you're an outsider-ishness thing. Um and even so, when you add up, as I tend to do, Trump, DeSantis, and Vivek, right? DeSantis is the one who has a foot into MAGA populism and a foot into actual governance. Um, but if you take those three as a category in national polls, um, it's been incredibly consistent. It's been between mm-hmm. 72% and 79% the entire race. And right now, uh, nationally, it's at 79 um, so that's because Donald Trump is up 15 points since February and DeSantis is down 17 points since, uh, since February and Vivek went from zero to eight. Um, that's yeah. it. Like that category is the category. So Nikki Haley might become the queen of the normals. Yes. The normals as a category is lucky to pull uh, combined 15%. Mm-hmm. So she might elbow out Mike Pence and Chris Christie and Tim Scott. And all the other like weird hobos on, on the other side, uh, <laughs> who like are the governor of Mauritius or something. Um, but like, uh, she's not going to displace Republican uh, presidential primary voters 
want someone who can tap into their sense of outsider grievance at whatever is perceived to be the status quo, the establishment and whatnot. Uh, Nikki Haley does not give that to them. I cannot see how she like rises above. And again, New Hampshire being the you know super liberal place, it's still way north of 60%, those three guys, that course, sentiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, there's really like, you're going to have to like, there's going to have to be some extra thing that happens. It's not going to come from voters, Republican presidential primary voters. You're going to wake up one day and say, you know what? You know, no, I think he's really gone too far this time. Um, he's polling at 58% nationally. Joe Biden in a, a primary election against two really weird people. Um, and it's just two as opposed to the 10 plus who are running in the GOP primary is polling at 67%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's, it's amazing how well Donald Trump is doing this. The only way that he loses is if he keels over uh, or if something about, um, you know, his legal troubles becomes an impediment to him running. But um, it's a uh, Ron, Ron DeSantis. It's been an amazing month by month face plant from 31% and he's now down to like 12 um, and it's it's hard to imagine him doing it. I wonder if this is something new about American voters, because I suspect it probably isn't, because the options that voters have always been given are people who tend to be, you know, the normals. We've had a lot of normals mm -hmm. over the years, which is why in 2015, you have $80 billion going into the coffers of Jeb Bush, which mm -hmm. is instantly set on fire. And he gets like a half a delegate because um, the guy, I think, lost his legs in Vietnam or something. He, he wasn't a full delegate. It was like, it was very, it was a poor showing for Jeb Bush. But I wonder if this, at, at, the this is, of course, what gets, gets journalists to say things like, you know, we need uh, to, you know, get these people off of television because they've realized something too, that, you know, people doing bad things is not what voters care about. They don't give a shit. And also the further you get away from somebody's record, the more you like it. And I had a conversation with somebody last night about this who said to me, um, it was a question that was asked of people at a table. And it was, you know, if you think about Donald Trump's record, um, what he accomplished, and if you care about abortion and affirmative action, you know, was it all worth it? And I think that most people who care about those issues think it was because all of the crazy mm. things that were like dominating MSNBC for 24 hours in a news cycle the stupid shit he said, the insane shit he said, the offensive stuff that he said, that is that as ephemeral as it comes. I mean, it just, it kind of dissipates in the air and never, I mean, people say things, oh, do you remember when Donald Trump said this? I'm like, oh my God, he did. That's incredible. I totally forgot about that. There's like a yesterday. Thousand, like yesterday, like there's <laughs> a thousand of these things. And what I wonder is if this is a new development or if, you know, Watergate got underway a year earlier and things started coming apart a year earlier. Nixon won the 72 election. Uh, it won 49 states. I mean, it was an absolute trouncing. And that was all getting underway at that point, right? Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it Watergate wasn't, existed as a, as a concept. It, it was a scandal. It, it was being it written existed. about. It was, it was being written about. The taping system hadn't been exposed, the rest, the rest of it. John Dean didn't do his little performance in front of, in front of the committee. But if that had gone like a slightly different way and it was beforehand, I just think that Nixon still would have won maybe 48 states. I don't, I think that people, our capacity for like, you know, shitty behavior and our accepting of, of, of like sort of 
general malfeasance is something that is a lot greater than people ever imagine because the bottom line to them is their own bottom line. They don't care if somebody's a bit of a scumbag. If they're stealing and doing a Spiro Agnew kind of thing, maybe that's not going to be good. But if it's if it's like I'm I'm, I'm I'm boorish and I'm a bit of an oaf, and but you know um, I'm attacking the people that you want me to attack. I'm going to say like I mean, what is Trump doing next week during the debate? He's going it's to speak going to, to striking auto workers. I mean, they give all of their money to Democrats. The head of the union. Uh, the UAW, who's a real piece of work, had said uh, after he announced this that we're fighting against people like Donald Trump, billionaires who, you know, game the system. And but yeah, but do your members think that? Yeah. In Detroit? I don't think so. And I think people will show up for that and I think they will cheer. So it's really a, a wild kind of interesting place that we're in. I just don't think people ultimately care as much. And that's why journalists are like, we have to pick up the slack. Because there's there's a um, um, so this year's um, kind of darling about, you know, doing what Wesley Lowry was doing two years ago, talking about the moral clarity, like we need to drop as journalists objectivity or the, the quest for it for moral clarity. Uh, so this year's darling is Christiane Amanpour, um, who's been saying some formulation about how it's important for people to be truthful, not neutral. That's the phrase that's being used. And it's a catchy phrase. Um, uh, it's fine. And um, she will then say uh, in the next breath, and that's why it's very important to not platform um, you know, people who are authoritarians and want to overthrow the Constitution. And now that, that leads to some follow-up kind of questions about the interpretations of what truthful, not neutral means in her sense of, uh, of platforming. But um, she said in the speech that people keep quoting from, including Maggie Sullivan, uh, Margaret Sullivan, sorry, um, uh, that um, uh, we maybe what we need to do, this is to Columbia Journalism graduate students uh, in May. And it was like a day or two after CNN did, did its town hall interview with Caitlin Collins and, uh, and Donald Trump that like blew up. It led to the like CEO of CNN leaving was it so controversial that they had. <laughs> the president, the former president on a town hall discussion. Um, she said, maybe what we need to do is what they did back in the fifties, which is when faced with, you know, the horrible excess of McCarthyism, they decided not to platform someone uh, who was making all these grave accusations until it rose to a level of evidentiary threshold that could be more like a court of law. And that's, you know, the implication was that's how we ended McCarthyism. This is absolutely untrue. It's such the opposite of being it's true. Completely untrue. That's a, 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 a totally completely untrue. Uh, it's un illiterate. It's untrueness. Um, however, relates to what you just said, Michael. I think, which is that. So, what actually happened, and Michael knows this, this history better than I do, was um, the. It wasn't Edward R. Murrow who shook his finger and ended Joe McCarthy's career. Uh, it mm -hmm. was televised gavel to gavel hearings of the army, the army, the army, McCarthy army McCarthy yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Joseph Welch, my, obviously my, my father, uh, great grandfather <laughs> who did yeah. the, uh, how many uh, times did he, when, did he say to you when you were a kid, have you no sense of decency <laughs> about Welch? It's like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Dad, uh, granddad. Um, uh, so that was the army McCarthy hearings. People could see him. It was like unedited. It was sort of C-SPAN. Everyone's watching because there wasn't a lot of things to, to watch. It was gripping television and Joe McCarthy was in a very lunatic kind of way, just kind of accusing everyone around him. He was right about some of them, but he didn't have the <laughs> evidence. Um, and uh, and 
Americans reacted by like, I don't know, man, that's nope. Um, like he, he started to become deranged. I think to your point, Michael, um, is that a lot of the journalistic shortcut that we're seeing now is a way of expressing exasperation that they no longer have faith that the American people would react like that when mm-hmm. seeing an absolute demagogue in their midst. And so they're taking plan B or plan C or D, um, which also kind of dovetails with their longstanding theory, which I think is inaccurate of that of like broadcast journalism theory or just media communications theory that uh, consumers of media are inert sheep. You can just sort of like tell them what to do and they'll go do it. This uh, gained a lot of popularity uh, for understandable reasons after World War II and Nazism and Hitler and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And so people just sort of assumed that um, you can cast a spell. I think part of it is, is that yes, you can, you can note that you do all this journalism and some of that journalism might show that Trump is acting in an authoritarian, illegal, boorish, bad way by every light that you have as a journalist out there. And I wrote literally a magazine cover story called the case against Donald Trump. I'm familiar with the arguments. Um, uh, and you can then, if it doesn't land in a way that gives you the sort of instrumental um, victory, his voters still want to vote for him. Damn it. Mm-hmm. So you decide to write off those voters as mm-hmm. media consumers, um, as as humans, um, and you're going to just sort of protect these sacrosanct zones. The word is called platforming for fuck's sake. It's just like we're going to have this exalted space where in people who are a little bit above the rest of us are allowed to talk about their things. I think that this is giving in to fatalism. It's defeatism and elitism mixed, right? I can't, uh, I can't fix this. It's not going to lead to the outcome that I want. And those people are so goddamn stupid and stubborn. Fuck it. I'm not going to try anymore. And I'm just not going to get there. I'm not going to like, and it also makes for really shitty journalism because you'll take every shortcut to conclude that anyone associated with Donald Trump, we saw this today, Rupert Murdoch uh, announced, and I don't really believe it after having read Jack Schaefer over political, write a really good column about this, but he announced that he might be retiring soon at age mm-hmm. 5 trillion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and what's his name? Mehdi Hassan uh, at MSNBC is like, never forget. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for Rupert Murdoch, we would not have had the rise of Trump. It's like, how illiterate do you have to be (laughs) about like modern media to not understand that Rupert Murdoch has always hated Donald Trump, hates him more than ever, like Mm -hmm. super, like had to pay a billion dollars recently because Mm -hmm. of fucking Donald Trump probably is not super happy about him. But um, if you are in this thing, like all of the bad people in the category of bad are contributing to this bad thing, you're going to take all these shortcuts, you're going to produce shitty journalism, and you're going to get neither the good journalism nor the good political outcomes because you're not going to convince a single person um, that's on the fence right now with your argument. To Mehdi Hassan, too, by the way, I mean, you have to go through the things that Murdoch said and did in the past and maybe see if he's changed his mind about them. Nobody ever does that because you just, you know, trawl through the archives, you pull them out. Because it's important because Mehdi Hassan in the past has said things about gay people and Jews and the rest of it, which he's apologized for. And I give him the apology. I I, I grant him that and say, you know, he's grown and he's learned. But people do that. I wish he'd maybe think the same way about some of his enemies. But to your point, Matt, which is an important one, is it produces bad journalism. When people get into high dudgeon about the end of democracy, we end up with the Steele dossier. We end up with Russiagate. 
because mm. it's just like we're so desperate to show these people how bad this man is. I mean, I met somebody who had been pulled into some of this stuff, and he told me about being pulled into some of this stuff. That's meaning, all I'll say about it. Meaning like pulled into <laughs> like uh, like uh, plumping the steel dossier and some other stuff like that? No, pulled into being questioned by the FBI. Oh, um, oh. For for proximity to people. It was so wild, the story that I was told. And, oh, okay, yeah. And it, it, it makes a ton of sense, actually. And then you hear him out and you're like, oh my God. And you know, they ultimately left him alone and realized their mistake. But it's got to be very they, scary when it's happening to you, though. It's scary because when it's you happening. Can, you cannot know what's, what's going on. Yeah, it's a scary thing when it happens to you and you have to presume that um, they're doing this for good and just reasons when it turns out that they're not. They're following every stupid lead that turns out not really to be a lead, but it turns your life upside down. You get in the newspaper, your reputation is harmed. It's like, you know, when, when you know, uh, Kevin Spacey or something is found innocent in the court of law in London, they don't say, okay, let's start acting again. It's like when this happens to you, it's going to affect your life forever because the accusation is what matters. But watching this stuff and watching, you know, people who are otherwise seen to be in the past sensible journalists get really, really overwhelmed by this stuff. It's like, I don't know what they're going to do when Donald Trump dies. I think they're going to die too. It's like <laughs> when he dies, they'll just, they'll just disappear into a puddle on the ground. Yes. It's like, they need him to survive in so many ways. It's, it's like, there is a reason for existing. And, you know, Christian Amanpour, I guess, um, who is a British citizen, she might be an American citizen now too. But when she says platforming people, you shouldn't do it. Um, and I'm taking Matt's, uh, I haven't read this um, speech of hers. But if she does say that, um, I guess she says that it means that's only okay for the United States because I can, off the top of my head, remember her interviewing Assad, mm -hmm. interviewing mm. uh, 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 Gaddafi, uh, Ahmadinejad. Um, all of these people have been, you know, witheringly cross-examined by Christiane Anamampour, but that's how it should be. But it's not about, it's not about, you know, should, they're not criticizing him enough. Of course they are. Of course people are pushing back. Of course NBC is pushing back on Donald Trump. Of course the people that are, you know, moderating these debates are throwing hard questions at people, which is probably why Donald Trump is going to be in front of a bunch of UAW workers and not in front of, um, you know, by the way, the Wall Street Journal today, they unsigned editorial that said, what are you scared of Donald Trump? You're really blowing this opportunity because you Americans have a right to have other conservatives uh, cross-examine your political record. Uh, and that you're been sort of dining out on, but no one's actually calling you out on it because you're giving monologues in front of your fans and not actually, I mean, you know why he's doing it. He doesn't want to defend it if he doesn't have to, but uh, it's, it's, there, there are a lot of people willing to do that right and left. He is, uh, there's no reason strategically for him to subject himself to a single debate. After the last one, he went up a little bit. He continues yep. to go up. So why? Yep. Why? Let, let, I, I think let them fight. I, I think that he could get away with not uh, debating Joe Biden, but it'd be a fool to do it because Joe Biden would just be talking about dog-faced pony soldiers and then start screaming and running into flags and sleeping. Stop yeah. making I, I think, me root for it. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine a world where if Joe Biden survives that long, um, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the nominees for their respective party, and that they don't actually have a debate. I think that the clamor. In fact, I suspect it'll happen before um, before the Republican nomination is completely sewed up. 
like Trump's people will start to clamor for him to get involved here. Like they want, oh, yeah. they want him on the debate stage. Like I, I, he wants to be on the debate stage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's good at it. Um, regardless if you like him, if you think he's the worst person to ever have lived, I mean, he's good at, at that kind of debate because as Shane Gillis said, my, my favorite line is when he first says like, you know, Rand Paul's wife is ugly. And, and he's like, oh, I didn't know you could do that in this, which is my favorite line of all time. Because that's what everyone felt. Like, I didn't know you could do that in this. And you could talk like that. And once he redefined the terms of debate, it was like, man, he's good. He's going to be good at this because it's debating on his terms. Mm. Yeah, it just reminds me of how, how he just, just exposed Ted Cruz. Good Lord. Just completely manhandled that dude. You talked well, about your daddy, talked about your yeah. wife, and Phil in the Jack end, Kane. you endorsed yeah. him, yes. <laughs> and he never apologized. That's, never. That, like, I meant that's, it. That's also in Gillis's routine. He's like, <laughs> and, like and, he, and he's like, a couple of weeks later, he's like, I support Donald Trump. And he's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you remember Moynihan at the, uh, the 2016 Republican convention, that mm -hmm. was one of the only two or three little bits of drama was- yeah, yeah, um, sure what is Ted Cruz going to do in his speech? Because he was yeah. kind of the last man standing besides like uh, John Kasich, I think busking outside or something uh, yeah. during the proceedings. And uh, and Cruz kind of like tiptoed around it. And it was the big drama. The other drama was Mike Lee was throwing a big shit fit about- Of course. Um, I, uh, I forget exactly the details of it, but I covered it very extensively at the time. So it must've been very important. Um, and Ken Cuccinelli too, right? And- uh, Lee, um, you know, uh, ended up becoming a pretty consistent Trump supporter and Trump put Lee's brother and even Lee on the short list of potential uh, Supreme Court nominees. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, amazing. It's been an object, object lesson object on what happens what to people who want to hold power within politics. Um, and it's, um, I cannot think off the top of my head, uh, more than a handful of people for whom it didn't like debase who have maintained in politics. The people who I think acted with the most honor are ones who scooted out of politics as soon as humanly fucking possible. If they're, especially if they're in the Republican party, because it just wasn't doable. Like you can't um, react normally to the abnormality of Donald Trump um, and speak honest, honestly in the way that you would have up until that, at that moment um, and stay in the party. Um, it's a, you know, I, we take it now for granted, but it's pretty weird. It is pretty mm -hmm. weird. And it's really damning about a lot of people. Like I just imagine yourself being so wedded to any job that you would just do what Ted Cruz did with Donald Trump in 2016. Are yeah. you fucking kidding me? You talk mm, about, you talk about Pete Walt Welch. You talk about like, mm -hmm. like Joseph Welch, <laughs> Raquel Welch mm -hmm. like that. And I'm going to mm -hmm. just take it down. I'm a mild well, great person. Juice. Your wife, your wife Too ugly. Your wife ugly. Your daddy a murderer. Okay. <laughs> your wife looks like Scotty Pippen. I'm going to Why does that have to be Jesse Jackson? I'm very confused. Uh, actually, that, that I met, um, I think I mentioned this one time that I, I hung out for a while with Don King at the 2016 oh, uh, yeah. RNC who was making literally no sense. And it was absolutely fantastic. I have a video on my phone that I, I think I sent to you guys a while ago where he's talking about women 
And it's just oh, no. the wild. He's like, he's like, Donald Trump gets the women. He got the women up and down. I love it. And I was like, wait, he's got like sitting in a chair, <laughs> looking about to die. And everything's an American flag. He's an American yeah. flag jacket on. You know, he like stabbed a guy, didn't he? Didn't he kill yeah. a guy? Yeah. 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 Let's well, uh, live in America, man. Yeah, exactly. What a great country. Now you're at the RNC. <laughs> and I was sitting there, I was standing next to Ken Cuccinelli when he was screaming about the rules rebuff. Um, when they wanted to have a vote on the on the rules, yes, uh, and saying. it was yeah, that was the big uh, anti-Trump uh, attempt, their last ditch attempt. But uh, but yeah, how things changed. Cuccinelli became a rather different figure after that, didn't he? Yep. So. And and you know, like the the Mormon revolt against Trump that was always oh, the source right. of the uh, Republicans who would peel away first. You know, Mitt Romney's retiring. Um, it's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's tail between his legs. He's gone. Yeah, that's right. What what do you? I, I want to ask one question really quickly. How do you guys think the the immigration situation, like in New York, Chicago, like how does this get sorted quickly. out? What yeah, actually? That's, a, that's a quick quick question. Yeah, that's a French uh, goodbye. Uh, doesn't it doesn't get sorted out? I mean, there. I mean, what happens to, to these politicians? I suppose is the question because they are holding the line, at least rhetorically, in some cases, like saying, "No, look, I mean, these we have to help these." The the their constituents are. don't care. They no, do they not want nope. these people there. Nope. The big mistake that that dumb um, kind of, and I hate to just put an ideology on it, but sort of dumb liberal commentators have made for years is believing that the average Democratic voter, city dweller, thinks the same about immigration that they do. That is not true. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when people get mad about gentrification, they're mad like that neighborhoods are changing. And there's like, oh, the the you know the costs are going up. Um, you're even if even if it's crime, whatever it might be, the nimbyism that is inherent in the urban liberal population is going to. It's not just Staten Island. This is the thing that I think the media is being kind of disingenuous mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. Those people are the loudest, and they're going to kind of surround the bus and say, "Go home," because they're from Staten Island. <laughs> That's what people from Staten Island do. But <laughs> the discontent amongst people who are poor, poorer. Uh, lower middle class and non-white is something that is ignored in New York City. It's less so in Chicago because there isn't the Staten Island thing. I, it's, it strikes me and people from Chicago will write in and tell me I'm wrong about this, that that kind of like white ethnic working class enclaves seem to not be as prevalent in Chicago, like in inner city Chicago, as you are from downtown, you know, um, downtown in New York, a, a, a ferry ride across to the other forgotten about borough. But I think that it, they cannot win this by saying we want to open people with open arms because nobody, that is going to be the Bradley effect of New York because no one's going to say it publicly, but if they, if they had a chance to vote on it, everybody in Matt's neighborhood, everybody in my neighborhood, everyone would be like, nope, we got to get rid of it. If there was like a plan that said vote up or down that we ship these people out humanely and to some other place that is not your neighborhood and not your city, they would vote yes on it. I guarantee you. Mm. Next door, thankfully, I don't look at, but I, I hear about it. Um, <laughs> this is the only thing that's talked about in next door. It's like it used to be about Amazon packages being nicked from your yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. front door. Maybe that happens to some degree, but now it's just about who is uh, you know driving those messenger bikes in such a way that's almost killing people. And uh, every day, every yeah. day, it's crazy. Um, it's mm -hmm. insane. So what like, I hear I, you I, saying is Mexico is sending their best. It's on Mexico, yeah. man. It's Venezuela. I mean, the, the Biden administration has done things, right? Like, I think it was this week that the Biden administration said, okay, let's have 
make it easier for people to well, let's just like stop having this arbitrary um, block on uh, getting work permits for 180 days after you apply for asylum because sure. sure. they're going to come and they're going to work. They're going to get a DoorDash job. That's why they're riding the e-bikes. Um, so that might do something said that he's going to speed through. I don't didn't read exactly, but something like 470,000 Venezuelans, which is a large number. Um, and, you know, always from my point of view, having more legal immigration is a great way to stem illegal immigration. Uh, but ultimately, uh, and no one, I don't think really has a good, and by no one, I mean, no one on broadly my side of this debate has a great answer to the question of what do you do to people who show up and knock on the front door legally, um, according to our laws, which is that if you say I'm here applying for asylum, um, I'm surrendering myself to you now, what, um, what we do is say, cool, we got a backlog. Can you come back in a, in a few weeks or months? And then it's all like, which bus do you take and where do you go and all of this? That system is under a type of strain that's untenable. Um, and it's untenable because the places that receive them can't deal with it in the biggest concentrations, whether they're border towns or whether they're now New York or Chicago, some other places. Uh, and that's going to create a, a politics that just it's not going to it's not going to work out. So, like, there's going to have to be a moment where we um, are serious about the question of, like, is the way of dealing with this law saying, OK, you're in line. That line is in a tent 100 yards away. Um, mm. And that's ugly. No one likes that. That's also like maybe what you have to do or at least change the underlying law in some way to have it make more sense than it clearly does now. I mean, if it, so many people are going to look at stuff and say, this is just facially unfair. Um, uh, you know, they didn't get in line. They didn't do this. Um, they are getting the receiving benefits, the types of things that uh, homeless people who are native born citizens don't get. It's just, it's going to fall apart um, as a political thing. And you have to, you have to like address that in some way. And it's not, I don't think been seriously addressed. In 2022, yeah. there were 2.3-odd million people that crossed the border illegally, 2000, just in 2022. I think since the Biden administration, the number has been predicted, but I mean, it's estimated between four and five million. And let's take the upper number there, five million. It's very hard to count. Let's say it's five million people. The population of El Salvador is six million. Entire population of the country. The entire population of, the, of Nicaragua is a little over six, between six and seven million. The headline that I saw on uh, NBC or MSNBC the other day, the subhead said the big spike in, in crossings has been exacerbated by an increase in people from, and this is what it said, three countries it mentioned on NBC, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, communist, 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 three communist countries. Mm. So um, maybe we should have a conversation about, you know, when Kamala Harris says, well, I'm not supposed to man the border. That's not my job. I'm not going <laughs> to the border. I'm not going to I'm to Europe either. That's my, my favorite response of the entire administration. I'm here to look at the root causes. Well, my dear, I have some root causes for you. It's Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba. What do those things have in common? Huh. Mm. Maybe we should get to the root causes of that and maybe talk about some political solutions uh, to these places that have been struggling under the heels of dictatorship for so long. Hmm. I'm hearing a pro pro CIA coup. 
Just <laughs> where Moynihan <laughs> and I appear. I'm, I mean, I, I literally, if the Bay of Pigs was ex- executed by a bunch of guys from fucking Staten Island, there'd never been a Castro. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we got to get out of here right. been a while got some questionable internet connections uh we'll do this again soon bye bye we know of new methods of attack the trojan horse the fifth column